okay, that was weird. I was hearing like double phasing. <laughs> so um, off to an auspicious start. Um, anyway, welcome to the pub. Um, I hope you guys are all charged because uh, that was such an incredible game to be discussing with my um, fellow pub attendees here. Um, from Cape Town, we've got Olaf, Olaf Brinkman. Hi, Olaf, how are you doing? Hello, everybody, wherever you are. Hello, Mike. Cheers. Hey, Mike, joining us from um, the Banana Republic of the USA. <laughs> I'm glad you're alive. You, you guys have been having a bit of a hard time there, I see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, country's so large, we don't feel the reverberations of much down here, but still. Oh, so you weren't storming the capital? Oh, I only stormed it a little bit. Okay. <laughs> All right. I was looking up. I was trying to look out for you on the videos there, but I, I didn't see you. So um, that's all good. So, um, wow. Uh, we went, we we're in 2021, but that felt like that was fresh out of, like Mike said, like we, we got time warped back to sometime late 2020. Um, yeah. Who wants to kick us off? Mike, what did you think of, of the lineup? Let's just start at the very beginning. What did you think of? The lineup. Well, the lineup was fine in as far as it was good enough to beat Newcastle, and I didn't want uh, Smith Rowe playing because I didn't want him to um, our one creative um, connector to be used in the FA Cup when he's played three games in a row. So I was fine with that. Um, I, uh, you know, the, I love to have seen Ainsley make the Knowles play instead of Tierney, but then having seen the game, Tierney uh, was arguably the best player on the field. Um, I just worry about Tierney playing so much. He plays so much for Scotland as well as Arsenal in, in every competition. Um, so that was weird for me that Ainsley Maitland-Niles didn't play. I would have played Ainsley Maitland-Niles over at right back uh, if he wasn't left back or central midfield. Um, that was my only major concern, I suppose, yeah. And Olaf, anything that um, kind of raised your alarm bells or anything when you, when you saw the lineup? No, I, I kind of agree. I agree with Mike that I think the, the the lineup was good enough to beat Newcastle, and I think I just posted as well now on Twitter. I said, you know, that was a game we should have killed it off in ninety minutes. There was no need for extra time, yeah. even with that lineup. I think we should have done it within ninety minutes. Um, but then again, I think that uh, for me, the the I have to. I'm going to throw this out. You know, um, early in this discussion this thing of everything is for footballing reasons are the decisions that we are making, which is absolutely valid. But I really have to, to query how it is that we do have a one Brazilian player that makes the team for footballing reasons. And then when you look at it, um, you, you've got to say that there is nothing that was added at all. And in fact, it, it, it more impeded the flow and most probably was a large contributor to why we didn't actually win the game in the in the in the standard ninety minutes. So I so I was a bit wary of of William um, as and I, and I think he's getting a huge amount of, of, of flack from everyone at the moment. But again, it's I think it's quite deserved. It's like I think sometimes you know we get the the camps between the pro and the um, anti Lacazettes and the pro and the anti Urzels and whatever. But there is I I cannot think of one person that can say something significant that William has brought since he's joined us. So anyway, so to answer your question in the long roundabout way, I think that that was my major concern, that he could step up, and I think he tried initially, but I think then he just kind of, he kind of faded away and, and ended up staying on too long. He should have been the first substitute in the end. Yeah, he should have been. I think, Olaf, the only reason that William gets chance after chance after chance is either, well, I think it's one or two things. It's either the embarrassment from the coach of uh, William being his main choice this summer and him wanting to prove to everybody, the players, the staff, the Cronkies, fans, um, that, that he can make a success out of the guy that he put his hat on. Uh, and it could be or and or that the Cronkies have said, look, you know, you you are 250 grand a week or whatever this guy's earning. You know, you you want to new transfers? Yeah. I'm uh, sorry, I don't know. With with Urzel like not even in the squad, I'm not sure that that logic actually applies. Well, I don't think the Cronkies have any idea of what it is that they, you know. 
If, well, if that people, logic, Ozil should be playing too. I don't know. I just don't. well, maybe it's Edu then, Paul. I don't know. But somebody at the club, I feel yeah. like, is saying to him, "Look, if you want transfers in January, you know this William thing. You know, we spent all this money on him. We've got to make this work. We've got to do something with it because so he keeps just giving him chances to see if he can get him cranked up. But he's uh, he's not motivated. I mean, he's obviously a good player because he hasn't played for Chelsea for all those years. If he's not a good player, but he's not interested in being a good player. He has such little motivation, isn't he? I mean, and then so therefore, the byproduct of that is just poor performance after poor performance because he's not interested to the same level as somebody like Smith Rowe is. It's obvious when that's the first game that we've seen both of them at the same time, and it's obvious one of them's interested and the other's not. Yeah, um, definitely. William seems to be pushing a piece of string around and, and not really going anywhere with it. You know, I, I. I you know, without bashing him, we bashed him a lot on this part. And I think everybody knows what they can see in front of him. And this, this, this um, complete, uh, like, riddle as to why he's being used week after week, I'm not sure that we'll ever really know the answer. You know, Mike, you, might, you may be right. Maybe it's somebody like Edu, you know, pushing for fellow Brazilian. But um, let's, let's, let's change the subject from Mulian a little bit. Um, we had a little bit of a shock uh, in the um, warm-up. Martinelli got injured. Um, you know, I saw pictures of him. He was kind of in tears, but he's he's often in tears when he injures himself. It always looks like he's about to die on the pitch, and then he yeah. goes on and plays. But this time, they kept him off. You think that's a good call? Um, obviously, with games coming up, Mike. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I think it's um, they, there was a couple of doctors that came on. I'm hoping they're legitimate doctors. Came on Twitter that other people were saying are reliable, and they said that they could tell by what was happening with him and the treatment that it was just a, a minor sprain. So I hope that that's true uh, because he's been um, an, an energy generator for our team as well as uh, better than the, uh, the 2020 players, as you said, Paul. So um, let's just cross our fingers on that one, but certainly good, good idea to not play him if he was able to, to play. So do you think he would have played on the, on the left, obviously, instead of Nelson? What did you think of Nelson? Um, um, Olaf, having not seen him for a while, um, what was your impression of him in this? He had an opportunity, right, to kind of to earn himself a spot. Um, how do you think he did? I, I think he, I think he did okay. I mean, considering he hasn't played for for a while and and, and being brought in in the starting lineup, and I think that uh, traditionally he's kind of come in a little bit more as a, a substitute, unless it's kind of been the Europa League kind of games. Um, I think he, I think. It, I was maybe a bit disappointed in the in in the end result. I think that um, I think he had the potential to kind of be able to step up today, um, and I think it was also made a bit more difficult with Lacazette with uh, Aubameyang playing in the middle, which I which again I think it's a it's another discussion we can have in the pub at one or other point. But uh, Aubameyang is is not best in the middle, and I think that that then impacts on the on the wide players and their ability to come in. And so it doesn't really matter who's on the left or on the, on the right if Aubameyang is in the middle. And, and Lacazette coming on later proved that in his ability to hold up the ball, etc. But I think Nelson did he did okay. Um, but I, but I don't I think you know if I was going to give him a rating out, out of ten, I think that in the time that he was on, maybe a five and a half six. Um, I think he's capable. That's of, not great. That's not okay. I don't think that's okay for a top team. No, um, I don't. I, I agree. No, no, absolutely. Um, and I think that he he's capable of a seven and a half eight when he when he when he when he does play, and he has at certain times done that. But I think today was a bit disappointing, uh, given that he was given a, a break to to stop. Junie Wooney here um, on Periscope says, um, "Surely Nelson and Willock not good enough." Um, uh, do you have anything to add on that about Nelson, Mike? Um, and if not, then and what do you think of Joe Willock's performance? Yeah, first on Nelson, um, I'm afraid that Reese Nelson's going to turn out to be a YouTube player. You know, one of those guys where you look at this six-minute clip and you think, wow, wow, what skills, what what pace at dribbling and such giftedness with the ball at his feet, because he does. And I, I just, he bothers me when he plays because he's clearly super talented. But um, if you compare what he did, and I think it was the first minute of the game, there was a diagonal ball hit over by Louise, and he took a really clever first touch and attacked the defender and we created something from it. And he looked really up for it. You compare that to what happened for most of the rest of the game, which is he got the ball and 
played in a submissive fashion and passed it backwards and refused to try to take his defender on. And, you know, I don't know. I've always speculated that um, the uh, addiction that coaches have with pass completion and not losing the ball, you know, affects players with a talent and individualism like uh, Nelson. And I, if it were me, I would tell these guys, don't you worry one minute about your pass completion or losing the ball. You just continue to take uh, players on because that's why we pick you. You're not here to pass, you know, to retain possession. It's the, your individual qualities. And so I think he just keeps blowing his chances, but it's not a lack of talent for me. Um, and then the other thing is Willock. Willock Sorry, before you go to Willock, I'm going to interrupt you. Um, just just the thought. Um, we've seen Reese playing mostly from the right. You know, tonight he was playing off the left. Um, do you think that do you think that um, was something that he wasn't really prepared for, and that might have thrown him a little bit off of his game? Uh, I mean, does he get any credit for kind of being out of position and given a last minute shoved onto the field? And sure, it may have that may have thrown him more so than being on the left when he played for Hoffenheim in his purple patch. It was almost exclusively on the left, so okay. I, don't, I think he's very familiar with it. And the kid is just so talented. So you know. Um, I just it pains me that um, the chances he doesn't get many chances, which is something else that, to be honest with you, which pains me. I think somebody like him needs the coach to put his arm around him and say, "Hey, you're going to get five Premier League games in a row, regardless of what you do. I'm going to trust you. You're going to be given an opportunity because a lot of these younger players have been given that, and he's never been given that. We just see him, you know, once a season, once in the autumn, once in the winter, one, you know, he just shows up every once in a while." And he has to be—he has to be awesome, and I feel bad for him in that regard because if he's not awesome, he's gone, and he doesn't even make the squad. And so, yeah. I don't know exactly what's going on, but uh, it's not through lack of talent with Reese Nelson. As for Joe Willock, Joe Willock for me is a um, is a you know a box to box player in a midfield three and a two, uh, not so much because he can't get into the box so freely with his late runs. Um, I think he's just going to end up being like Aaron Ramsey in the regard that Aaron Ramsey left Arsenal. I thought we never used him to his best facility, which is a, a box-to-box player with in a three, so he's got security of two behind him. And Joe Willock's never been given that opportunity. But that, then again, do you build your team and your formation around Joe Willock? Well, you don't, do you? So he just has to take what he's given. Um, so, you know, <coughs> coming into the box late is what I look for, but I'm not sure it was set up for him to do that today. So. So you don't think with um, Al Nani playing, you know, uh, you know, deep and um, Smith Rowe ahead in the middle, that 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 was an ideal opportunity for Willock to play between the two and and um, you know carry it. Well, it's hard to say without knowing the instruction that he was given. But you do know when you play a midfield three, if you are the guy who can penetrate the box, then you have freedom of knowing you've got two players behind you. The trouble is, if you play with Al Nani. Um, and you're the legs and the dynamism, um, and you go make a you know forty yard run into the box, and nothing comes of it, and you've got to get back, or you've got to at least have that thought process that I've left El Nenny back there rather than Thomas Party, and he doesn't have athletic ability to cover, so you probably stay and sit, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Something in about Willock, or can I ask, or what, what yeah. you guys, and and also you, Paul. You, you, you don't think that maybe if Willock were a little bit like Martinelli, because when Martinelli was injured, he, he bulked himself up a bit, um, and 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 he, and he didn't lose any of his speed and his passion and his aggression and all of that kind of stuff. You don't think uh, you and Mike? Just a question, if I can ask one. Um, if if Willock. Uh, beefed himself up a little bit um, and, and then was able to use those skills and whatever else, he, his ability to be able to make a statement a lot uh, stronger for a regular start would, would, would be an outcome of that. Um, yeah, I, uh, Michael, just take a shot at this, but, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily see Willick's, um, I mean, obviously he is fairly light, but he's, 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 he's not short, right? He's what, 6'2 or 6'1? How tall is he? He's pretty tall. He gives you the impression of somebody who's not, but he's 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 taller than he looks. Because when you see him, you know, standing up against, um, you know, you know, other guys that are noticeably shorter, and um, Cedric and um, Smithrow, Stacker, those guys. He's a, he's a good head above them, you know. It seems like, but um, you know, I've seen Joe Willock in the Premier League shrug off tackle after tackle, and and he's got an amazing ability to stay on his feet. 
stay strong and and keep moving forward. So I'm not sure that that's ever struck me as a, um, you know, as as a kind of a fault that he's not big enough. For me, what strikes me as a fault is sometimes he just he just doesn't seem to get himself in the positions where he can take advantage of what is that um, you know that uh, that talent that he has. He does it up when it's needed in a, in a kind of an emergency defense situation. When there's no output, he will take the ball and he'll, you know, he'll transition from like a, you know, when we're in defense into attack. But we, he's never really being utilized properly in that position. He always just seems to be a cleanup kind of guy, you know. Um, Mike, that's just my impression. Do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, um, similar. In that I would just say that Joe Willock um, is a 4-3-3 player. I think it's just as simple as that. I think every time he plays in the two, he's fine. But fine isn't good enough to play for Arsenal. You have to be better than fine. Hence why El Nene and Tobias will probably not be here next season because they're fine, uh, and but they're not good enough. So to me, um, him and Eddie, same thing. Eddie's playing in the wrong era, it looks to me. Eddie's a 4-4-2 player, isn't he? If Eddie played with somebody uh, up top to lay him forward. Like up, a Giroud, for instance. like Yeah, for sure. I mean, Eddie. if Eddie was playing in the era that Ian Wright played, and he would get, you know, 15 to 25 goals a season because that's the one thing he does very w- well is he puts the ball in the net, but but he's playing in the wrong era. So he needs to go play you're for saying, a ball. You're saying he starts ahead of Ian Wright? No, 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 no. No, no, no. But, I mean, just he's that type. He's in the Ian Wright era, he wouldn't be playing at all. So. That's exactly right. Well, well, okay, let's put it this way. If I was Eddie, I would go play for a 4-4-2 team. There's, there's still some out there. There are not many in the Premier League. But maybe there's some abroad, but he needs to play with somebody else up front to get the best out of him. For me, and Joe Willock needs to go play in a 4-3-3 team. And I don't think that players' agents or even players these days put enough stock in that. They put a lot of stock in money and playing time. But honestly, they need to put more stock in uh, which formation the team plays and and whether they can uh, show their optimum in that formation, I think. Okay. Um, we've had some interactions on the comments. I just want to bring some of these um, into it. So he has, he, has, he has two, I mean, these are kind of classic. This, this is what I kind of have to look at and, um, and figure out which one to put on. So I'm going to put them on both, uh, both of them on now. So a guy called Paul Shepard on Facebook says, worst performance was Arteta. Picking the wrong team. Lucky man, why William better with Will I am? He should never play for Arsenal again. And then I've got this comment, which is... Um, well-managed by Arteta. This is Joe Poulton on Facebook. Well-managed by Arteta. Great win. Nice, Aubameyang got the goal. So let's focus on this Arteta thing. So, you know, obviously, you know, there, there was, a, there was a, a big question mark hanging over Arteta's head, um, you know, f- for those, that like string of horrible performances that we had. And then we had three wins and, you know, that turns it around. Suddenly nine points makes a huge difference, you know. And um, But if Andy Carroll had managed to put away um, any of his opportunities today, and we got knocked out in the third round. Um, that would probably cloud our um, uh, our opinions of Arteta. What do you think of those comments? Where do you fall in that camp, Mike? On on you know, there's one guy who says the worst performance was Arteta. Other one guy is well managed by Arteta. So, well, um, probably somewhere in between. Honestly, I mean, uh, again, I was concerned that Tierney was playing, but he was okay, um, and I. Like Olaf said, I'm always concerned when Williams on the field, but I think much like the Saliba situation, there's something that'll come out down the line that we'll find out why and it'll make some kind of sense. But, you know, surely, 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 if all of us fans who have less education than Mikel Arteta can see that William isn't just off form, he's not interested, and he shows it every week. He shows up in that jersey and, and puts his hand up and says, look, I'll show you again that I'm not good enough or I'm off form or I'm... I'm lacking confidence. I'm not motivated. And then I'll show you next week if you want me to show you again. So um, so I don't know that it's Mikel Arteta is picking him because he thinks it's better. I think that there's something going on. At least that's what I want to believe. So I'll go to Olaf, see what his uh, thought process what do you, is. What do you think? Are, where are you in the Arteta camp there, Olaf? Um, look, I think that... Uh... I, I think that there's, there's, there's something that's not often spoken about, and that's the relationship between Arteta and Edu at the moment. Um, and I think that there is a, I think that uh, unbeknownst to a lot of us, and this is just me, and I'm thumb, I'm thumb sucking this, so there's, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm, I, I have no, I think Edu 
has made has made a lot of decisions, the consequences of which Arteta is then handed and most probably under the auspices of the, you've got this break as being a 36-year-old manager at a huge club with a huge following like Arsenal, um, the Arsenal, etc. Um, so I, I think that there are certain things that Arteta absolutely uh, must be responsible for, but I do think that there's a lot of tandem stuff that is happening which clouds a lot of the decisions I think that Arteta generally would like to make. The William potentially being one of those, as an example. We keep going back to that, but I just wanted to throw that in because there was a statement that Adu made literally a couple of months ago, you know, about if you know football, you know what uh, this particular player can bring. Um, and he was, uh, he was uh, justifying it and upping him substantially, much more so than Arteta has ever had to do. So, so I'm, that's where I'm kind of reading in between that. It's, it's almost a, it's a, I've spoken with Kia and I've got, uh, um, you know, this is a great player and we're gonna, he's going to do great stuff for us. And if you know football, you know what he's going to bring. So, and so I, 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 but I do hold Arteta responsible for, for, for some of the stuff that's been going on. I'm also like Mike, I'm in between, I'm in between the two. But I do believe he needs to be given a chance. So that, I mean, that goes without saying. Um, and um, but I do think that uh, the emotional intelligence of the politics of football, the stuff in the dressing room, the players, the situation with uh, Mo as an example, and 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 further other issues. I think that there is an experience, inexperienced level that uh, that he has that he, he's not able to kind of deal with it the way that we as older fans maybe would expect because we've gone and seen people like a, a Wenger historically or, a, you know, older coaches out there that, are, that, are, uh, that may have handled it, uh, all of these situations differently. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm in between the two, but, I, but absolutely, uh, you know, uh, benefit of the doubt. And, and um, yeah, I think that his team selection, though, I still don't think is necessarily... 100% down to him. I think there are some behind-the-scenes things that he, he is under pressure to do. Right. Well, you know, it's always tough. You know, you as a manager, you often inherit a mess, you know, in the Premier League. It's, it's a luxury for a manager to just retire gracefully and then hand it over to somebody and they can, you know, ride a perfectly oiled machine. And I think Arteta, as an, as an obviously an inexperienced manager, inherited... Um, you know, quite a big mess, <laughs> I'd say, on all levels. And also those messes are kind of amplified by it being Arsenal, you know, like one of the top clubs in the world, um, with a very, very um, judgmental and um, um, engaged fan base. So I think, you know, it was always going to be tough. And, you know, I take my hat off to him because he's, you know, like a player on the field that always presents himself, like Smith Rowe does, or like Shaka was today, you know. Um, Arteta... when he came on. The, the, the energy level and 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 the and the incisiveness when 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 the substitution happened with the uh, Jaka coming on um, yeah. it, it, it did change the momentum and also the opportunities and whatever else so yeah definitely and just, just from a point of you know like comparing Arteta to that I, I do think that he's a manager who is prepared to put himself in the spotlight for you know it might be a criticism maybe he's putting himself in the spotlight too much maybe it's out of arrogance and lack of humility but I do feel that he's somebody who has quite broad shoulders and, you know, is, um, is prepared to take this job on. And I think if he can see through this, you know, this next year, um, and I think he's going to grow from strength to strength. And I think hopefully he's going to grow from strength to strength because I think he's smart. I think he's got a good football brain. He communicates really well. Um, the things that I liked about him when he signed and, um, and when he made an obvious change, you know, um, the impact that he had when he first came, um, I, th I think that hopefully when the pandemic you know, disappears and fans come back and everything, I think I think it might be. Um, I think he might have a better chance of um, of doing well. I mean, he also would have a better chance of failing, but I'm hoping that it's, it's the latter. Um, but you know, as far as the you know, we've discussed Willian. Um, when we talk about the fact that he's found these youngsters and energised athletic Arsenal that has made the difference in the last few games in the Premier League. In these matches now, where it's kind of almost the B string, <laughs> um, he's got Willian and Pepe, both of whom 
I mean, Pepe, I'm not, I'm not a fan of. Every game I watch with him, I don't, he, he hasn't convinced me, he, he, you know. Um, it's tough. You've got these two huge, you know, like Mike says, salaried players, and, like, you've got to play them at some point, right? Um, isn't Arteta a little bit stuck with, with, with that? Um, the Pepe situation, Mike, have you got anything to say about that? Yeah, well, um, I don't know if Pepe will live out his Arsenal career being an enigma or if we're going to, I've got a feeling that if it doesn't happen this month, which I doubt it will, that it'll happen in the summer and they'll cut their losses. Um, he's not a priority right now to get off the book. Some of the others are. But um, this bits and pieces that he offers from game to game and probably the worst part of it, which is when he shows us how talented he is, but yet you only see it, you know, once every game and a half, just a little flash of a moment is a tease, isn't it? So um, for me, I would sell Pepe unless um, I would play him as an inside right. That, that's another positional situation, much like Eddie and Joe, uh, that I, I don't understand. I don't think Pepe's a winger. I think Pepe is an inside right forward like Salah, and Salah does not play on the wing. If you sort of imagine um, him when he gets the ball, you imagine him in the box. He gets the ball in the box, and then he takes the jink to the side and shoots. And that's what Pepe's... Uh, is he's um he's either a counter-attacking player but we're not a counter-attacking team or he's a box player because he's quite quite a good finisher um and he ruins everything when you get the ball to him on the wing because he takes too long he's not direct enough he's not strong enough he's not proactive enough um the defenders don't fall for it so i think he's been played uh, 15 yards in the wrong position but um what does olaf think about Pepe, I think that um, it, it, it's quite sad. If you if you looked at uh, what he achieved, and, and granted there were quite a lot of penalties when he played in the final uh, game uh, season in, in the French league, um, but but he, he scored goals and 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 he provided assists. And I think that it, you know when you come with that, and then you come to Arsenal as you have. And by the way, we, we sounding quite negative. I, I, I think we're all pretty pleased that we actually won today. So this yeah. is. A, so, yeah, I take that for granted. I mean, it's I'm just putting it out there. Eh? Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's more than it's more of a relief because I honestly felt that we there was a yes. point around the 80th minute that we we're going to lose this game, and Andy Carroll yeah. could have put it away twice in the last 10 minutes and yeah. and big up to Leno for that uh, Leno, I mean Leno le, le, he saved our ass in the, in the literally like three minutes ago whatever it was that that it was amazing save and and the rebound um sorry just for the Pepe thing I noticed today is that like his one twos when people are playing off of him like generally his return his the two of the one is is sloppy and he seems to just i've noticed when he gets rid of the ball or somebody pings it into him and he pings it to somebody else he puts them under incredible pressure yeah like he gives them an almost impossible task to get it back or do anything productive with it you know and um so you know having him on the inside right kind of you know i'd imagine him playing playing off you know whoever's going to do the overlapping runs on the outside or whoever's on the inside it's just i'm not seeing that from him i, I see lacazette as, as better at those kind of you know, close range touches, which is why I think he's doing. Okay, let's let's go positive here. So Lacazette, for instance, and and the way he's been playing with Smith Rowe and and Saka when they came on, like Olaf said, when Saka and Laka came on after the Shaka, the Shaka Laka Saka substitute came on, and um, and immediately we seem to have more energy. I mean, Saka himself just seemed to shift a gear for for the whole team. Um, do you have any comments on on those subs? Um, because they were effective, right? Yeah, they were. They changed the game and um, wasn't as big a swing as um, as I thought it might. But it was the it was a difference maker in the first goal, that's for sure. And credit to Lacazette, you know, in the last um, three weeks or so, he um, has completely changed his fortunes at Arsenal. I'm still not sure if he'll last beyond the summer, but but to the point where people are seriously debating whether. Um, he should start at centre forward instead of Aubameyang, and I would start him at centre forward instead of Aubameyang because he's clearly more effective, which ultimately is what it's all about. But um, for me, you know, we're starting to see the um, the simplicity of players being played in their best positions in a formation that gets the best out of them. Uh, if you can remember, you know, six weeks ago, Lacazette back on the halfway line and sometimes even deeper. 
trying to play with his back to goal and dictate the play. Now he's doing that on the top of his box, combining with Saka and Smith Rowe, and that's his strength. Um, and, and it's it's obvious. So you know, if you want to uh, put him up front, or you let's say you you want to keep Lacazette at the club, then play him in a four-two-three-one with somebody behind him that can combine quickly, because clearly he's very good at that, and clearly he's sort of mediocre at probably most of the rest of it. So you know. Um, I wish he was a little more flexible and could do more, but many players are like that. Uh, and if you want their optimum, you've got to put them in the right formation. And we haven't had um, a situation at Arsenal where I felt for years that all the players are playing in the right formation, um, in their best position. Uh, and then that West Brom game came along and I looked at it and I saw everybody playing in a formation that suited their style. Yeah, the whole seemed greater than the sum of the parts, you know, which is yeah. you know, some of the peak Wenger teams. It just, the cogs fit, like everybody knew what they were doing and there was great little interactions. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of of obvious connections between players, you know, which is, and you can tell when Smithrow and Saka are on, are on the field together, you know that there's there's like a, there's a level of understanding that's, that just, um, you know, just elevates their game because they, they, they think symbiotically. It's like you know, like a flock of sparrows all turning at the same time. They seem to do the same thing. Olaf, you you want you look. Yeah, I, I, I think what Lacazette did when he came on, he was he, he was able to hold up the ball. And if you if you look carefully in the last let's call it ten minutes or so, Smithrow was running uh, left and, and and right, and he was putting defenders away, and that was creating space. And the same with Saka on the other side. And, and that made an instantaneous difference because suddenly the play was wider, but there were gaps for people to go into. Um, and I think that that is an attribute over and above the fact that he got the assist, by the way, for Smith-Rowe tonight with a, with a header. Um, it was an amazing header too. It was almost a replica of that, you know, Saka to Smith-Rowe, back to Saka, off Laka, onto, correct. you know. And, 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 and I think that that is a great quality of his. I mean, he, he, he has been quite deadly in front of goal. Uh, in a positive way, um, the last uh, uh, you know five or six games. Um, but I think that his ability—if if you just look at him playing central when he came on—to what Aubameyang was doing playing central, it, 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 it's almost chalk and cheese. And and we, with with the way that we play and with the short passing and 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 the wing backs coming along the side, we need somebody who's able to hold the ball but can be a lethal striker at the same time. I think that I think for me, for a while now, Lacazette has been um, undervalued. Um, I agree with Mike that uh, you know who knows whether he'll be here beyond the summer. I personally um, um, am, am a great fan of his. I think that uh, within the right environment and and with the right uh, 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 colleagues slash uh, teammates around him, I think that he he's absolutely uh, will be a, he's a great asset for us, especially because of some of the attributes that he has. Um, and what he doesn't have, then there are others that can pick up on that. I think, um, and Mike, you might be able to comment on this as far as um, as far as the attacking, as far as the attacking forwards go. I think uh, a Martinelli, Aubameyang, Lacazette problem is is isn't a bad one to have. You know, like Aubameyang or Martinelli off the left, or Aubameyang or Lacazette on the front, or you know what I mean. It's like uh, it, it gives options, and I think. I don't know about if maybe you have an opinion on this, but you know, Aubameyang might be an impact player. <laughs> you know, it seems like it seems like Lacazette has fit in with this new, youthful, energized um, team that you've been crying for. Yeah, um, better than Aubameyang has. I mean, definitely Martinelli. I think has owned that left that left wing position. Um, what, what do you think about that? I agree. I, I I would start and have a banning on the bench. It's a nice luxury to have. Um, but uh, he may find himself on the field with Martinelli, probably certainly out, I would imagine, for Thursday's game. Um, but uh, what I would like to see uh, before the end of the season, before we probably go by a centre-forward, is um, uh, Martinelli at centre-forward, because I think everybody sees, it's not really just in my eye for sure, that uh, his qualities as a footballer scream centre-forward. Um, but then again, I argue with myself and I see it's not just Aubameyang who's a centre-forward being moved to the left. There's many of them around Europe where the trend has become a, uh, a striker 
uh, now moving away from the two centre-backs and playing, uh, you know, off to the side as an inside forward like Aubameyang does. But I would sure love to see Martinelli as a centre-forward with Aubameyang on the left um, so you can get them both in the team. But then again, I don't think now is the time because I'd be a fool to want that now when Lacazette is playing well individually, scoring goals individually, and the reason why all these combinations are happening too. So it can't happen yet, but I would like to see that. Do you think there's a benefit, sorry, Olaf, before you chip in, um, there's a benefit to having your, like, a wide, fast player uh, on the wing. Um, it just gives you the opportunity to make a, a, a diagonal run towards the goal if there's a ball over the top of a, of a high defence. Whereas if you've got a fast player playing through the centre, you've got, like, a relatively short space or they have to run away from goal. You know, do you think that that's why some of these, because then a through ball for a fast player to run onto, like we saw today, there were a couple of occasions like that. Um, do you think that's that that might be why we've tended to have these, you know, great players playing off the left? I mean, um, Olaf? Look, I think that I think that it's a prerequisite in the modern game now to have your, uh, your front three, if you've got that, or your front two, no matter what, what you have, or even your, your striker per se, speed is almost a prerequisite as a given. So if you were to talk about us with the three, as an example, um, you need your central striker to at least have uh, some speed. So hypothetically, as Mike was saying, you bring in a Martinelli, it doesn't help that a Martinelli then has the speed, but then uh, that, that, that speed isn't uh, complemented by your, your left and your right uh, coming in um, and supporting or putting the, 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 the wing-backs or the defenders um, out and creating space for that central striker with speed to run through with a through pass from a creative midfielder or an occasional um, over-the-top ball from, you know, your, your central midfield from a party or a, a Xhaka or even from a Louise or whoever. So I think that that is almost, for me, a prerequisite is, is the speed part. And within that, the ability to then coordinate with your, uh, your, your, your partners on, on, on either side. And that's something that uh, I think that that's something that we haven't uh, nailed down just yet because we've got uh, some talent, but what is the best combination um, that's going to work uh, around that? Um, and then you're talking about Nketiah and you're talking about uh, Martinelli and then you're talking about the Aubameyangs and where his best position is, etc. I, I, I think that once that is buttoned down properly, um, I think then, and, and again, I'm going to use another team's example, uh, the historical success of, of like a Liverpool over the last uh, two seasons, it's because of that the front three and the way that they work with the speed and, and the incisiveness and knowing each other so well that they can they interplay with one another, but they all attack with the, with the same amount of speed that they almost end up pulling their midfielders and their, their, their defenders along with them, such is the pace that they go forward. Um, and, and even that bunch across the road. Um, uh, enough, about um, <laughs> enough about them already, just by mentioning them. But um, I think, I feel like Eddie's chances are slipping away. I feel like he had an opportunity and, um, and it didn't quite happen. I think Mike's right. Um, I think that our most effective system doesn't really have a place for Eddie right now. Somebody like Lacazette. Uh, fits fits much better into that system. But let's let's change tack again now. Um, I know who my man of the match was. Um, I'll give you guys a chance to say it first. Um, Mike, who do you think was your man of the match? Oh gosh, well there was a few players that played well. Just a few. Of course, Leno had a good game. Uh, David Luiz, uh, his long balls were almost all on point today, and his defending was very good. So I don't want to take away from him. Um, Smith Rowe and Saka little, a little bit more Smith Rowe changed the game, certainly in comparison with uh, William, for sure. But for me, um, Kieran Tierney, I, I was, I've got a, an, uh, not an argument, but I sent out a, a disappointment tweet before the game about Ainsley Maitland-Niles not playing instead of Tierney. And, and Dave, who we all know, said Tierney has to play because he's our most creative player. And of course, and he was he was joking, he put one of his little emojis there, but but then I thought about it and thinking about the game itself, um, Tierney probably was our most creative player. And just to think he's a left back as well. So Kieran Tierney for me. I love. Yeah, it, um, I tweeted that uh, that I made Tierney man of the match and uh, and he created five five 
clear-cut chances today um, and then got the one assist. Um, and so without doubt, I think, you know, he, and again, that energy down the left. And, and you can see, if you look at the way we're attacking these days, we've got Pepe on the right, as an example. And I, I know he plays more further forward. But, uh, but it's almost like 60, maybe even 70% of our attack these days goes down our left. And even when the ball is on the right-hand side of midfield, it's like cross-field uh, cross, uh, balls that are going out to the left-hand side. So, Tierney, absolutely for me. And by the way, just I just want to make a quick mention. I think, uh, again, I was highly impressed by uh, uh, Pablo uh, again today in, yeah. in defence. And and one of, and one there were some very subtle things that he did. There was one time when um, he had the ball and we had new, I can't remember who it was, but one of the Newcastle players was charging at him. He did like a little spin and a half back pass to, uh, to Louise instead of what anybody normally in that position has done historically in, in other football uh, clubs and even us, where we end up passing it back to the goalkeeper who's then under pressure um, and then he can't move it away enough and whatever. I think that in, in the two games, uh, or the last two games that I've seen him play, I'm, I'm super impressed with, with him. And I've made the comment before of, of Marie with Gab Gabrielle, although they're both left-footed, and I know that that's a problem. But I, I, I think that's still a risk that because they both have got ball skills, which I think is, is in, uh, or yes, they've got skills other than the defence and their positioning, which I think is undervalued at the moment. Yeah, I would say, Olaf, I don't even know if that is a problem. I think that's something that's overplayed in the modern era that you need a right-footed, right-centre-back and a left-footed left centre-back. You think back to, you know, our best back four ever, or both of our best back fours, I don't believe we had a left-footed centre-back. You know, Steve Bold and Martin Keown weren't left-footed, and Tony Adams certainly wasn't, even though he used it. And Sol Campbell wasn't, he used it. Um, I think of John Terry, not a fan of John Terry, but played as a right-footed centre-back, one of the best in the country for years, and used his left foot. Um, and I, so then, I, I'm not arguing with you, I'm sort of coming alongside your point. I would do what I think you're thinking, Olaf. I would, I would try Mari and Gabrielle, and not be too concerned about which foot they use. Um, plus, you've got the world of inverted wingers. So, um, much like Maitland-Niles was put at wing-back to counter someone like Mares when they cut in these inverted wingers, now you're on your strong foot. So, you can imagine uh, if, Pablo Murray, if Pablo Murray played as a right centre-back and, and he had to deal with somebody, uh, a right-footed player on the left, and there's many of them, cutting in, now it's on his strong foot to tackle and win the ball. So there's advantages too, you know, in this in this day and age. Um, I'm surprised you had a comment about Louise there as a possibility of man of the match because, like, I actually for the first time I took notes and then I realised I took way too many notes. It's like I wrote down a play-by-play -play of the entire fucking game. And um, were you able to watch the game? Huh? Were you able to watch the game taking all the notes? Yeah, yeah, I can multitask. No, but I've got like. Louise rush clearance, Louise gives it away, Louise clown clearance, Louise with clunky unnecessary clearance gives it away. Um, you know, there were a couple of long balls, like you said, Mike, and I'd, I'd take those, but they were, you know, just felt like, um, I also just made a note here, Louise is not a clown clearance. Um, I can give you the minutes if you want, but um, um, I also said I made a general observation and he doesn't do it all the time, but sometimes some games he comes out and he doesn't. He just seems to want to hang on to the ball like a second and a half too long. Draw the yeah. offender in, I mean the defender, and then, um, you know, puts himself under like under pressure and then that's when he, he gives it away, you know. Um, it's just a weird thing, you know. Um, and I saw and I made another note of, of El Nani's um, hair because <laughs> there was like three or four times again in this game where just zero peripheral vision and putting somebody else under pressure because he's not, I don't know if he, if he can't see behind well, he has that hair. So maybe that's a problem. You know, it's maybe if a coach, I would put a, a haircut rule. <laughs> what do you think about that, Mike? Well, <laughs> yeah, we talked a lot about El Nenny and Gwenduzi's hair. I think it's the problem, but um, I don't know how, I think a bigger problem for El Nenny is that, um, uh, he's just uh, been playing too negatively compared to that wonderful game he played against Manchester United where he decided to come out of his shell. It wasn't just the energy that everybody loved. is that he was playing forward 
And I saw, I try to watch off the ball in front of the ball. Uh, most of the time when we have the ball, that's, I guess, what my eye does as a coach. And the number of times the Bamiang's on the shoulder of the last defender and he's making that darting run across the defenders. <coughs> and then Nanny, you can see him looking at him and he doesn't pass him the ball. Maybe he needs, um, maybe he's short-sighted. Because I, I see Nanny like going, you know, come, 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 I need, and I'm looking ahead and I can see like five people, Saka's rolling off that way, ESR's rolling off that way, Aubameyang's going like, I'm here, you know, and then it's like, oh, I didn't see you, and I just passed it back 50 yards, and let's start again. You know, it's, it's a bit crazy, but um, going back to Tierney, who I think was my man of the match too, he put in, I don't know how many amazing crosses today. It was just, it was, it's, it's scary because he don't, it, it often looks like he's going to just run himself into like a dead end, and he takes on the player, and he does a flick out towards the byline, and you think there's no way he's going to get there first, firstly, or secondly, put in like any kind of decent cross and he puts it in, he cuts it back to the back of the box or he cuts it to the middle or he puts it across the middle. I mean, the guy's, he's got like Geordie Armstrong-esque kind of um, crossing abilities. Can you imagine, Paul, if he was playing with somebody like Giroud? How many <laughs> this guy would have got? Because he's the best, Saka's good at crossing and Pepe's not bad whipping them in. But Tini's the best crosser at the club, best I've seen in a long time, yet... You know, he's tossing in so many good crosses and we're not, there's very little that comes from Yeah, him. let's face it, we're not renowned for our head Yeah, It's actually, I would love to do a compilation of, of all the attempts that most of our midfielders and, and forwards make at headering because it's like, it's a joke. It's almost like I'm, I'm going to pretend to jump and I have no intention of headering it. Right. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, so that, that, should we have a quick uh, chat about that last, you know, the last goal, the second goal. Um, we put ourselves under pressure again, right? Um, uh, as we, you know, looking like we might want to, want to, um, you know, make our lives more difficult. But at the end, you know, like it was, it's what we needed to seal the deal. Olaf, do you remember it well enough to talk, talk us through? The, the second goal? Yeah the, yeah, the second one. Yes, but I think it was also the build-up to the second goal as well, which, um, and I made mention of it earlier, the, word, the fact that, you know, Smith Rowe was uh, running um, and, and pulling out defenders and, 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 and so on. I think that that was a, a large contributor to it. But I think that the, 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 the incisiveness between the Saka, uh, ESR and, and Lacazette, um, as you mentioned earlier um, in, in, in a previous game as well, I think that there is a, is a fundamental good understanding, but between the three of them is also the ability within a very small space to have short ball control and to be able to either hold it up for a split second or to give it an instantaneous pass into the next gap into which one of the others would then be running into and, and, and so the, the domino effect. And, 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 and I think that that kind of was half the consequence of, of why the goal appeared is because I think... Smith Rowe was on the left-hand side, and when he ended up scoring the goal with the the header, uh, which um, Lacazette got in front of Hayden, just in front of uh, uh, at the, um, and to put to do the, uh, the 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 pass on, he then was on the right-hand side, and then there, and around him there was there was no one. So he had, so what I'm saying is that he created that space by by doing a bit of the uh, over to put it back to Shaker, who then put it through to. Exactly. And then Saka moved and that created the space for him and he moved to the right at Smith Row. And I think that that was, and you could see there's a there's a, a good symbiotic understanding between the three of them. And I said, as I said, the, the skill set that they each have of close ball control and being uh, able to play in a very tight, defined space uh, makes a, a slight difference. Mike? Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I think we've, we've done the Saka... Yes, ESR lacquer thing. Um, um, Shaka, Shaka seems also to be rejuvenated by this this energetic, youthful thing. Mike, have you noticed? I, I feel like he's a different player in these last three or four games. Granite Shaka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, he has been better. Um, again, uh, these small details that we've been complaining about, uh, he's changed. Um, which for me was just as simple as him being brave enough to open his hips and look forward. And it's amazing if you can just do that one thing in football, be brave enough to scan them, be brave enough to actually turn 
then the, the direction that the ball's traveling in is, is a north versus south, which is where he was passing the ball, uh, you know, back in December. So um, I am uh, pleased for that. He looks like a confident player now, uh, even taking on volleys from 20 yards. That nearly that was a great shot, wasn't it? And to his credit, so he is. Here's the thing, though. Um, you know, is Granite Xhaka, even an optimum, optimal Granite Xhaka, good enough? You know, when you come up against the better teams that have athletic players in the middle of the field and we don't if Thomas Partey's not there. And so for me, I've, I, you know, I'm not a, a long-term fan of Granite Xhaka. I think he needs to leave the club um, and we need to upgrade. But I'm happy that he is more confident and he's uh, doing honestly what I think he should be doing anyway. I'm not so sure that it's, it's in the, you know, he's at the level where some of our younger players are, where they're making the difference. I don't see quite that in Granite Xhaka. I think he's just now performing to a level that I think he should be. Uh, I'd also like to just quickly add to that second goal. There was a couple of things that really spoke to me. If you watch that second goal, Tierney um, did something very cute. I, I try to teach my players this as well, when to run off the ball. He gets the ball out wide and he passes it inside and he pauses. And I don't know if he intentionally looks at the defender's eyes. I tell my players, don't run as soon as you pass the ball. First of all, you'll mess up your pass because you're too busy thinking about the run. But you want your defender's head to turn. You want him to turn because all defenders will follow the ball first with their eyes. He passes it. The defender turns his head. And then Tierney sneaks around the back of him, which I thought was really good. But I also thought that that goal epitomized good Arsenal versus bad Arsenal. And what I mean by that is that that goal was a product of movement off the ball. And I think Olaf was talking about it earlier. You know, good Arsenal has movement off the ball. Smith Rowe has brought movement off the ball. Um, and these two goals that, Paul, again, you were talking about earlier from the West Brom game and today, all about movement off the ball. And that goal, that goal does not happen unless Tierney makes that run off the ball. And that, to me, is the, probably the primary difference in bad Arsenal and good Arsenal. Right. Um, just the last, lastly, there were a couple of um, little incidents. The, um, the one was the Aubameyang uh, penalty appeal um, on the edge of the box um, that Kavanaugh immediately dismissed. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't go to VAR because it seemed like the commentators on my stream missed what I saw was, uh, I think his name is Clark, putting his back foot out and basically yeah. tripping up Aubameyang. I mean, that's a the nailed on penalty every game I've ever seen where anybody's done that, you know, and it's often Louise or Mustafi or those kind of guys that do like a, whoops, I'm going to put my leg out. Um, what do you think of that, Mike? Do you think that should have been there? Yeah, it should have been. And I think um, the referees have to know the players as well. And Aubameyang's not a diver. He's not somebody that's even close got the reputation for diving. And if, if he falls over, they've got to at least go check because he's not somebody that's trying to con people. And it was worth checking anyway, which um, was odd because the Smith-Rowe incident, he was happy to check that. And I didn't even think that was a yellow card. It was a, a ridiculous decision. He was going for the ball. He even took his leg away, um, and he got yeah, a yellow card. The player kicked his foot away, from, and, and it wasn't even going in the direction of the player. It was, it was going across, and he was falling over backwards, and the guy kicked. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I missed that he'd given the red. I thought he'd just given him yeah. a yellow. So then when I saw him go to, the, to his pocket for the red card, I was like, are you kidding me? How can you... Fucking see that on the monitor and change your yellow to a red. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, no, that's, that's great. Well, I, was like, yeah, I think the total truth of that, Paul, was that if anyone <laughs> was in danger, it was the other player coming in at full speed. Emil Smith-Rowe was stationary. So how can you hurt somebody with your studs if you're hitting them with your studs whilst you're stationary? Yeah. That doesn't hurt. It doesn't even hurt you, let alone endanger you. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, Olaf, <laughs> what did you think? What did you think of those decisions? I'm not going to talk too much about uh, the, the the pros and cons of the penalty, but I think that there is also a slight difference if you uh, and we and looking at the the potential red card for Emil uh, Smith Rowe, um, his reaction at the time he was holding his you know his hand to his forehead and and he looked really worried, um, and and that transmits to the referee that the, you know the decision that he was making or had made was actually the correct one. The same with Aubameyang for the for the penalty when he got up. He didn't do a like the other players in the league do, and they ran and raved. And and he, he saw the reaction and laughs, and he, he away. Um, and, and I think I think 
that that may also be a contributing factor in as much as we did you know we didn't all crowd around the the referee going come on at least go and check on the on the monitor yeah. that you know what i'm saying we don't, we don't do that which to, to my i mean to, to my credit to our credit there, there's a number of things that i'm I, i'm quite proud of the way arsenal plays and we're not overly clingy and grabby in the corners like our defenders aren't trying to take the person's shirt off you know whereas most teams i see are you know it's the modus operandi and we don't seem to have that kind of that um like get in the referee's face you know every time a decision you know doesn't go your way uh, maybe it's just maybe i've got rose tinted glasses but i that's that's kind of how i see it and regarding the smith row i mean i think it was kevina who um sent off was it eddie um for like a it was a lame red card i think like on the red on the on the halfway line yeah. it was like a clearance and eddie turned he didn't know the guy was behind him and he tried to bring the ball down you know with you know uh, i think it was the same ref so i'm sure smith row been they'd all been warned about the fact that this guy could easily send you off for nothing and it looked like he was about to so he was about to the, the, the traditional uh, andy carroll elbow that of course you know doesn't even qualify no, for that Harry Kane backing into you and and he's going to break somebody's neck when he does that but um yeah. anyway that's enough about Harry Kane <laughs> but um is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on we run 56 minutes here so i think um we're going to we're going to bring this this cheery thing to a close we defended our first um possible our first uh, our title defense went not smoothly but was a big relief um mike yeah anything to yeah, add? yeah. I think um you know I've got to sign off here and, and write my blog and I think my my first thought is that that game was almost perfect in the way that we won it which uh is what we need but it also offered that sad clarity of who needs to be in the first team and who doesn't um and I think that was very very obvious and it wasn't the entire starting lineup but there were many players that we've talked about in that starting lineup that that sort of offered a commercial for their ineptitude and ability to stay on the bench um and so yeah. i i was getting nervous i don't know how the rest of you feel but i feel like arsenal twitter is getting nervous for the moment when everybody's fit which is probably going to be thursday and does willian get back on the field for example um or is he going to you know use the right side of his brain and uh, persist with smith row so um i think that was helpful <laughs> me that was helpful that uh william was awful again um yeah. you know uh, and i hate for that to say that about an arsenal player but i'm so over him um and i'm nervous because I, i don't believe that our coach is apart from when he absolutely has to i don't believe yet that he's not going to play him and give him another run of games you know um Olaf one thing i meant to ask you guys earlier um if thomas parte comes back which looks like it might be pretty soon um who who do you who do you drop who do you who, who do you put what what is your midfield when parte comes back i would uh, based on current form i would attempt the midfield and again we're going with the same formation that we currently have right so then i would have i would have i would i would i would give a run of games to party and and potentially jacka in in um in initially i think i think if, if party stays back a bit and and jacka as mike was pointing out um uh, is is able now you know to to think a lot more going forward and and also be aware of where the spaces are i think it might be a, and and the way that he, he can pass the ball incredibly well um i think that that might be an interesting um midfield kind of a a combination for me uh um, in front of them a big pardon with smith row in front of them like as a 433 yeah. yes correct right. yeah i think um he's got a tough decision i think what he'll do is he'll play jacron savaios on thursday and put party on the bench and bring him in slowly and of course with us without us knowing the medical business behind the scenes it's hard I to know <laughs> it's hard to disagree that that's not the smart thing. I would love to see Party start and um it would be very harsh for Jack Ortiz in their current form to buy his last game with his best for Arsenal for me for I, either of them to be on the bench 
But what I would do moving forward, not necessarily in the next game, but I've always wanted to see Thomas Partey playing in midfield with Ainsley Maitland-Niles because they're two modern, athletic, uh, all-around midfielders that have all the uh, the skill set that you need to play in the Premier League. Whereas if we keep seeing Jack and Tobias, you know, for as many games as they have a good game, there's going to be some bad ones and we're going to bring up the same old stuff that they're not um, athletic enough. You know, the red cards, fouling people, you know, they can't keep up with play. Um, and it's all going to come up again. And I think the, the solution has been has been at Arsenal for a long time. But, hey, it's pointless me saying it because it's obviously not going to happen because every time he's had a chance to play Maitland-Niles in midfield, he hasn't done it. So, but that's what I would do. All right. Okay. Well, I think that about covers. Um, I think we covered a lot of ground tonight, and I appreciate um, both of you your your wisdom and insight. Um, so, if you've got nothing else revelatory to add, um, I'd like to just uh, bring this to a close. So, Olaf, yeah. thanks for being with us. Thanks for the honour again, Mike. Always uh, great spending time and listening to your uh, your wisdom and yours as well, Paul. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Thank and you. See you later.